Ladies and gentlemen, this is Edward Arnold. Today we are changing from our regular Mr. President program for one week only to bring you a great American classic that seems particularly appropriate for the 4th of July week. A special dramatization of Edward Everett Hale's immortal story, The Man Without a Country. Mr. President, starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold and written by Gene Holloway. Today, Edward Arnold will not be heard as Mr. President, but will act as the narrator of The Man Without a Country, a story which has always had a special significance and which seems to have an even deeper meaning this July of 1949. And so, in just a moment, today's story of Mr. President. Our drama for today will begin in just a moment. It will be a specially selected drama appropriate for our Independence Day anniversary. Here in America, as we celebrate Independence Day, we are reminded again that our concept of the president as a federal executive is unique in the history of world politics. When our Constitution was framed, many Americans thought president was just another word for king. In fact, some of the titles suggested as appropriate for the new head of state were Your Majesty the President, Your Mightiness, or Your Excellency. But Washington chose president, meaning the one who presides. Edward Arnold, whose brilliant portrayal of Mr. President has earned him the respect of millions of our citizens, makes it his goal to reveal our presidents as individuals capable of doubt, faith, and anger. In just a moment, you'll hear from Edward Arnold. See if you can name the president who was presumably in office when this story began. about to hear the story of a man and his country. The story itself is fiction, for Philip Nolan was created as a symbol by Edward Everett Hale. But the background of history and events are all real, and we will ask you if you can tell from them who was presumably president when the story began and when Philip Nolan received his strange sentence. The clues are all in the story. Listen. Order in the court. Order in the court. The attorney for the state will kindly continue. Mr. Nolan, is it not true that you were part of a conspiracy to destroy the government of the United States? No, that is not true. That is not true, I tell you. Do you dare to deny your friendship with Aaron Burr? No, no, I don't deny that. But I do deny all your accusations of treason. Lieutenant Nolan, Aaron Burr has shown himself to be an enemy of the United States government. As an American officer, your country's enemies are your enemies. By your association with Aaron Burr, you betrayed the uniform you wear, the flag you follow, the country you profess to serve. That is true, is it not, Mr. Nolan? No, it is not true. It is not true. Do you still dare to defend your association with Aaron Burr? I don't think it needs defending. I only you talk to that man. You think I... it needs defending. <laughs> you need say no more, Lieutenant Nolan. I rest my case, Your Honor. 
Philip Nolan, rise and face the court. Philip Nolan, is there anything you wish to say to show that you have always been faithful to the United States? The United States? Damn the United States! I wish I may never hear of the United States again! Who was that man? Who would dare utter such treason? Come over closer to the radio, America. I want to tell you a story about you and your growing. This is not a story of a national hero, but of Philip Nolan, who severed a bond before he knew its value. Listen to the story of the man without a country. Think back, way back to the 1800s. Remember? You were still an adolescent then. You were proud of being a nation of 17 states. And you were beginning to speak grandly of adding Michigan, Indiana, and Mississippi and becoming 20. A zealous Virginian was in the White House. And down in the South was a man named Aaron Burr and a man named Philip Nolan. They say now, now that history has sifted the facts and weighed the evidence, they say Philip Nolan was as fine as any officer in the Western Division. Oh, he was a little more hot-headed than some, a little swifter to anger than others, and a little too quick sometimes about getting his two cents of opinion in. But he was not alone in this. There were many dashing young gallants like him as ready to die for a kiss as a flag. And Philip Nolan might have gone to his final sleep among the vine-covered homes of the dead in Orleans as quietly as any of them had not a star crossed his path one night. Mr. Nolan, I am Aaron Burr. I am told you are a young man of remarkable promise. I should like to talk with you about your future. Why, thank you, sir. I hardly know what to say. Thank you very much. A star comes that way sometimes. Sudden, blinding, dazzling. Aaron Burr came as the disguised conqueror. Rumor had it that there was an army behind him and an empire before. But that first day in Orleans, though Philip Nolan wasn't to know it for a long time yet, he became the man without a country. It was only a step from Aaron Burr's side to a trial for treason. The United States versus Philip Nolan. He was bewildered, deeply hurt, embittered. Above all else, he was young. And an older man would have checked his anger. A traitor would have been wise enough to hide his feelings. But Philip Nolan was neither a wise man nor a traitor. A moment's silence, and then those words that were to echo forever in his life. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. The words filled the courtroom, shivered against the walls. No one spoke. No word fell to combat those other words. Half the officers in the room had served through the revolution. They had seen Washington at Valley Forge. They had seen Paul Revere, Patrick Henry, Tom Jefferson. They had starved and frozen through a bitter winter. 
to keep a tattered flag flying its defiance so that one day a people could say, this is my country. The judge and the jury rose and left the court without a word. No one else stirred. Someone in the back of the room sighed. Someone else coughed. That was all. Fifteen minutes went by like fifteen years before the judge returned. Prisoner, hear the sentence of the court. The court decides, subject to the approval of the president, that you shall have your wish. You will never hear the name of the United States again. It was the fall of 1807... It would be 1863 before he heard her name again. The leaves would grow red in Maryland soon. They would be piled along the Potomac for burning. Their smoke would spiral into lace against the November skies. They would be tapping the trees for maple sugar in the Vermont woods. Now the New England housewives would gather in their spiced kitchens to prepare the Thanksgiving puddings. The Cape Cod fishermen would go out into the misty dawn for their nets, and the harvest would be a bright promise on the Indiana hillside. The Blue Ridge and the Alleghenies and the Rockies would pull the snow up over their shoulders and settle down for the winter. And the Mississippi would go slipping on through the heart of America. There would be hearth fires and Christmas trees, there would be dances, there would be church services, and wedding ceremonials, and baptismals. But not for Philip Nolan. His was the sea and the bitterness of salt on his lips, and no port at evenings. And in one sudden heart-stabbing moment, Philip Nolan knew what he had lost. Sir... You will receive from Lieutenant Neal the person of Philip Nolan, later lieutenant in the United States Army. You will take the prisoner on board your ship and keep him there with such precautions as shall prevent his escape. You will provide him with such quarters, rations, and clothing as would be proper for an officer of his late rank. But under no circumstances is he ever to hear of his country or to see any information regarding it. And so, Philip Nolan walked the decks of the seven seas and thought about America. But he never asked about her. He talked to his shipmates about the weather, about the sea, about all things but home. In foreign ports, where he was rarely permitted to go ashore, he filled his days with reading. But in the books and papers given him, there was no mention of America. For him, she was only a dream that had ceased existing. He was a ghost among his companions, drifting from port to port, listening to a word that filled his heart, that reached him in the wind, that sighed from the rigging, that the waves whispered through the midnight. One word, America.
can't stand thinking anymore. Oh, God, let me stop remembering. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. I wish I may never hear of the United States again. The court decides, subject to the approval of the president, that you shall have your wish. No! No, no! He was imprisoned by voices, trapped within the confines of his own terrible statement. And the voices he heard all sounded alike, Aaron Burr, the prosecuting attorney, and the judge. He was the prisoner of those voices, and would be forever. The men on board the ship were kind enough on Sunday afternoons when they sat on deck smoking and chatting. They invited Nolan to join them. He had a pleasant voice, and sometimes they asked him to read to them. But one day, the reading sessions came to an abrupt end. Here, Nolan. Let's have something out of this. The Lay of the Last Minstrel. Walter Scott. It's a new book the captain sent down. He says there's some nice stuff in it. Well, let's have a look at it. Breathes there the man with soul so dead, who never to himself hath said this is my own, my... Native land, whose heart hath ne'er within him burned as home his footsteps he hath turned from wandering on a foreign strand. If such there breathe, go mark him well, for him no minstrel raptures swell. High though his titles, proud his name. Boundless as wealth as wish can claim, despite these titles, power and pelf, the rich, concentered all in self. Someone else finish it. I have something to attend to below. just a moment, we'll return to today's special story, The Man Without a Country, on Mr. President. We Americans are aware of the fact that millions of people in Europe are living on an inadequate diet. That we are is shown by the tremendous amount of relief and gift packages sent to Europe last year by private individuals. $215 million worth, not including care packages. And care packages are the most efficient way of sending help to individuals or groups. You see, CARE works on a non-profit basis, enabling you to send more for the least. CARE furnishes a variety of packages, one that contains enough food to feed a baby for the first three months of life, another with all-wool herringbones sufficient to make a full suit for an adult man. And for $5.50, its thrift package, CARE also delivers desperately needed food staples. And so if you want to send a package containing the most for the least, be sure to order through CARE. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Philip Nolan could never find peace. Ships docked, set sail, men went home on leave. He watched in wordless anguish. 
He thought of candlelight on warm, gracious tables, of gardens where a man could crumble the rich soil in his fingers, of linens whipping on clotheslines and the friendly smells of kitchens. He thought of moonlight on hair that was soft as silk to the touch, of eyes liquid in the starlight, of lips velvet smooth and ripe for kissing. He thought of arms opened wide to gather in the returning sailor and one special voice that would say, Welcome home. He thought of perfume and music and the rustle of silk. He was young and there was a fierce hunger in him. And then one night in the Mediterranean Sea, some ladies were invited aboard for a ship's ball. All that was young and Philip Nolan died that night. Anne! Anne Emery! Why, Philip Nolan. This is a surprise. Let's have some of the American It's been a long time, Anne. Yes, it has been. A very long time. You're looking splendid, Philip. The sea evidently agrees with you. I'd forgotten how lovely you are. You must have forgotten many things. Let's go out on deck a moment, very well, Philip. It's almost impossible to believe finding you way out here. I'm on my way home. I've been visiting France. I tried to see you before I left. They wouldn't let me see anyone. I understand. I was very busy at the time, anyhow. I was... Married soon after you left. Married? Yes, of course. Hadn't you heard? I have a little boy now. A little boy. You must be very happy. I am. There are a lot of things that I'd like to say to you that I'll never say. You understand, don't you? I understand. It's so strange. We should meet again way out here. I can't get over it. I never even dared to hope to see you again. I'm a little sorry we did meet. I had forgotten you. It was better that way. I loved you very much. I loved you and I lost you. Everything else I loved in one mad moment... Oh, my dear. I think we should get back to the dance. Yes. Of course. And would you tell me just one thing? What do you hear from home? Home, Mr. Noble? I thought you were the man who never wanted to hear of home again. I beg your pardon. Good night, Anne. Philip Nolan knew in that moment how alone he was. One man with only the sea for the rest of his life and one nameless port at the end of it. The days became weeks, the weeks years that marched across his forehead and left him old. His eyes were deep pools of loneliness, and his heart completely empty. 
And no one knew until the day he died how deep his hurt had gone. No one knew until that day when they entered his room for the first time and founded a shrine to America. The stars and stripes were draped around a picture of Washington, and he had painted a majestic eagle with its foot clasping the whole globe. At the foot of his bed was a great map of the United States, drawn from memory. Here, Captain, you see that I have a country. Yes, Nolan, I see. How do you feel? Is there anything I can do for you? Do? Yes. Yes, indeed, there's something you can do for me. Captain, I'm dying. I'll never see my country again. There's not a man on this ship or in all the United States that loves her as I do. Would, would you tell me about America? Tell you about America? How can I begin to tell you about America? He had left America in 1807. It was 1863. War had come and gone in 1812. And Francis Scott Key had sat on a British battleship and written a national anthem. Jackson had taken the Florida Territory. A new flag had been raised in Washington with 13 alternate stripes and 20 stars. Nine presidents had been in the White House. The Monroe Doctrine had been born. The cornerstone of American foreign policy. The continents of the Western Hemisphere are henceforth not to be considered as subjects for future colonization by any of the European powers. The United States had begun to gather themselves into a nation. It is not the states, but the people of the nation who have made the Union. It is, sir, the people's constitution, the people's government made for the people, answerable to the people. Tell him about America. Tell him about Peter Cooper's steam locomotive, the Tom Thumb, drawing its first train of cars over 23 miles of B&O Railroad. Tell him about America. Andrew Jackson had moved the Indians west of the Mississippi. Arkansas, Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa had joined the nation. The Battle of the Alamo had been fought in Texas. Gold discovered in California. And a new nation now spanned two oceans. The South and the North were deep in their quarrel over slavery. And in the White House was the president whose words were the voice of the new nation. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I do not expect the house to fall. I do expect it will cease to be divided. Civil war had come to challenge the new union. It is for us, the living, rather to be dedicated to the great task remaining before us. We here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, and that government of the people by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. Tell them about America. The power, the color, the strength, the beauty, the tears, the triumphs. Tell them so that he knows the glory he thrust aside. She's 
A great nation, Captain. A great nation. Yes, Nolan. A great nation. A great nation. Nolan. Nolan. And so, his last thought was of his country. Before they lowered him into the sea, they draped the flag of the United States over his coffin. How proud that would have made him. The captain intoned the last rites. The bugler played taps. And the ceremony was over. Men, we found this paper in Nolan's things. Bury me in the sea. It has been my home, and I love it. But will someone set up a stone for my memory at Fort Adams or at Orleans so that my disgrace will not follow me through eternity? Say on it, in memory of Philip Nolan, lieutenant in the Army of the United States. He loved his country as no other man has ever loved her. But no man deserved less at her hands. We will do as he wished. And so, although the sea claimed him, his soul would know the feeling of land again. The flowers would be near him, and the trees, and the earth of America. He would know the seasons and the pulsing life of the nation. There would be a flag over him, and the knowledge of belonging. And thus, the man without a country came home to America. Well, I'm sure you figured out by now who the president presumably was at the time our story began. You'll have the answer in just a moment. For the inside lowdown on the week's highlight events, don't miss Walter Winchell on the air every Sunday night over most of these same ABC stations. When it comes to keen-edge reports on front-page news, Winchell is incomparable. Every week, millions of listeners from coast to coast eagerly await this dynamic commentator who has earned fame for his fascinating exposés and exclusives on the news. Winchell not only brings you the news that is currently making history in our nation, he brings you news that is blazing into headlines in the news capitals of the world. And so, like countless Americans, make it a habit Sunday evenings to be on hand when Walter Winchell goes on the air over most of these very same ABC stations. And now, here again is Edward Arnold. The president during whose term Edward Everett Hale began the story of Philip Nolan was Thomas Jefferson. We hope you enjoyed the presentation of The Man Without a Country for... During these days of July, sacred to all Americans, it is well for us to pause and remember what this country meant to our fathers and what it means to us and what it could mean to lose her. The men who sat in Independence Hall in Philadelphia made this country a stronghold for free men, perhaps the last such stronghold in the world. Thank God for them and for the privilege of being able to say, I am an American. 
Next week, I will appear again as usual as Mr. President, when you will hear an exciting story that happened in Washington a few years ago. Thank you and goodbye. Edward Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of The Great Sinner, starring Gregory Peck, Ava Gardner, Melvin Douglas, and Walter Houston. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It was produced and directed by Joe Graham. The fictional events in today's story presumably began during the term in office of President Thomas Jefferson. Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with an interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.